When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins. It's Season 12, Episode 30. We're recording uh, the morning after, the morning before, back at the Kia Oval. I have Dean Wilson with me, the Daily Mirror's cricket correspondent. First time you've co-hosted the show, Dino. And uh, we're going to go through today, well, many, many things. But not least, the fact that you have been recruited to the Final Word 11 that's playing on Friday, and you are a big recruit. You played for the other bomb last year and, and fell just short, but making a debut as co-host and, and as a player for our team. Well, yeah, hello, Adam. Hello, everyone. Very special to be here. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's what Her Majesty would have wanted <laughs> uh, is for me to co-host with you today and then to turn out for the final word on Friday, assuming weather holds and, and body holds. Yeah, I think it will. So, yeah, we'll be there from... Well, the game starts at 4 o'clock. It's at the Griffin Sports Ground, I think it's called formally, when you put it into Google. If you've been part of what we've done before with our meetups through Discord and so on, you'll already know the drill here. But if you haven't, just show up. Uh, nobody knew anybody when uh, this game was played 12 months ago, and friendships have been formed that I, I suspect will be lifelong. So if you are watching or listening to this and you're not doing much on, on Friday afternoon and you want to watch Dino uh, do as he does so well and score lots of runs and the rest of the final word team up against the Oval Dream Boys, a lovely team. We're both on that group as well, peripherally part of that team, and they're turning out a pretty good side. So it should be a great day, 4pm. There is beers being put on uh, afterwards. Uh, a few people have kindly put money behind the bar. I'm buying pizzas for everybody, so, you know, it'll be a nice all-round day. Well, rumour has it that is indeed why I'm playing. So <laughs> uh, looking very much forward to uh, to getting out. You know, we spend so much time around this great game, but uh, perhaps don't get to play it as yeah. much as we would like. So uh, if you get the chance... Got to grab it. A fair bit on the agenda today, Dino, not least the fact that we had a test match that finished here. Unusual week in its entirety. We'll talk a little bit about the monarchy, I suppose, in the context of cricket. We've, of course, had Alex Hales announced back to the England team, which is a big big bit of news and one you are uh, got your finger on the pulse of. Aaron Finch retiring from one-day international cricket, who's going to captain that Australian team. Australia played one day as against New Zealand during the week and won the series, but uh, it was a bit of a throwback to a era or two before. We'll have some nerd pledge, some candy cricket, uh, Asia Cup, and England's women have started their, their six-game white ball series against India. As I said, we, we've got a lot on the agenda. But very first thing I want to say, though, is that Rwanda under-19s won the final spot for the Women's World Cup next year in, in the 19s division. Now, they've never had one of these before, the ICC. It's quite a big deal. It's played over 50 overs. They're admitting 16 teams to play. So it's a hefty, big, serious tournament in South Africa. And the scenes yesterday, Hypercourse posted a video on Twitter of the celebrations when Henrietta Ishimwe hit the winning runs. They were outstanding. The players cartwheeling onto the field. That's what it's all about, isn't it? We, we often talk about growing the game, but seeing 
in this case, young girls from a part of the world that hasn't had a lot of cricket being able to play on that big stage in South Africa next year, that, that's going to do wonders for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's terrific to see boards, ICC and, and boards all around the world, you know, just taking women's cricket to the next level. Yeah. You know, of course, here in the UK, you know, we talked about the, the 100 and how that level playing field, you know, having the game, the men's and women's tournaments on, a, on an even keel has done wonders, really, for the women's game, really brought it into the consciousness of many more people. I was mm. here at the Oval watching the Oval Invincibles during their trophy winning season against Southern Brave and you know my girl brought my girls with me and we had an absolutely terrific time and, and they just saw the women's game exactly the same as the men's game which is kind of how it, how it should be so yeah for these young girls under 19s you know that's the start of a kind of serious potentially serious uh, life in cricket you know a lot of the guys talk about you know when they came up against each other the other international players at under 19 level yep. almost kind of a formative time for their career great to be able to see that now in the women's game as well see that these uh, young women can uh, you know start to put in the kind of performance the performances that get noticed gets them picked up as well in some of these other tournaments the fair break tournament you, Ooh, you yeah, mentioned the, the, this is a great opportunity i was going to say that as well like fair break provided a bit of a platform for henriette earlier this year she yeah. took wickets for the barmy army team you know these big booming in swinging yorkers that you know she's about four foot ten right and now made a hundred in this qualifier i believe a couple of days ago hit the winning run so you know that that will as you say, whether it's fair break or other domestic comps around the world, gives them a bit of a shot window, which didn't exist before for the younger players coming through. At a more senior level, the Women's Big Bash League starts in a month from today. I think it's the 13th of October. We saw news overnight that Sophie Eccleston has been signed by the Sydney Sixers. That's a huge get, given she's the number one ranked ICC bowler in the world. I think Sarah Glenn's now in number two, so the England spin twins at 20 over level are doing so well. But looking through it, the strikers have Deandra Dotton and Laura Wolvart. The Heat have re-signed Amelia Kerr, Pooja Vastrika, the all-rounder from India, Danny Wyatt. Hurricanes have got Mignon Dupria, who's finished up playing international cricket, but still around on the circuit. Lizelle Lee, likewise. And Izzy Wong, who's been sensational throughout the English summer. Uh, the Renegades, Shabnam Ismail, the fastest bowler in the world. Harmanpreet Kaur, the Indian skipper. And Hayley Matthews and the Stars have got uh, Jamima Rodrigues, which is also a considerable signing, given she's got such a massive social media presence and can seriously play too. And then the Scorchers have Sophie Devine back, Maddie Green from New Zealand and, and Marazan Cap, who still remains the, the premier all-rounder uh, in the game, or at least there with Nat Siver. So that's going to be a huge tournament coming up. And then we go on, as I say, to the Women's 19s and the Women's World Cup. Yep. 20 over version uh, is also in South Africa in February, March next year. So we talk a lot about the crunch in the schedule with men's cricket. It's probably... Um, I remember talking to a couple of the England players last year in October and saying, gee, we're kind of knackered for the first time at the end of a season. That's yeah. kind of a good thing, though, isn't it? Like They've had to play the whole way through from May to October. They'll be on the circuit, and they want to be exhausted by this stage of the year. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, we've seen that Siva as well, you know, take a break from the game because she's played, you know, so much yep. cricket and, and, and also kind of like high quality high intensity cricket you know the commonwealth games was kind of sandwiched in the middle of this summer as well alongside uh, the 100 and, and as you say the the england uh, women are playing india at the moment i mean it, it is great it, it's terrific to see so many opportunities uh, and the standard just getting better and better time after time you know you talk about someone like izzy wong you know trying to perhaps chase up to uh, Sheb, uh with pace and we and also that was an interesting sort of side view to like lauren bell and 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 the kind of pace that she was operating at as well this summer so things like that are just kind of great to to keep that interest bubbling away but 
the women are also, you know, going to suffer the same stresses uh, and strains as the men. Um, you know, they're not machines either. You know, we can't just keep expecting the same players to keep turning up and delivering um, tournament after tournament, uh, international after international. So, in a way, you kind of want to see the game, the women's game, grow with more and more players developing so that the workload, in a way, can kind of be, be shared, even though I know the players themselves will want to be taking advantage of those opportunities. It, you know, it's a, a delicate kind of balancing act, but fundamentally it's great to see so many opportunities. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's a balancing act. Ever since the start of the WBBL and the Kia Super League in 2016 and the 100 as well, last couple of years, it's a bit of a, a global best of circuit. So in a way, you want it to get to the point where, let's use Nat as the example, she's played everywhere. She's been such a presence over the last five or six years since these domestic comps bobbed up. And of course, she's been captaining England as, as recently as uh, the Commonwealth Games, captaining in 100 with the Trent Rockets and step back from that. Stepping back entirely last week for a time uh, to deal with her mental health and I mean even the fact that she's able to be on the front foot and have that conversation speaks to the maturity around the women's game that sometimes we hear from men that it, it, it takes them until they have entirely burnt out before they can sort of speak to the people they need to talk to. Whereas in the women's game it might be slightly more proactive and, and, and identifying that uh, they have a, a heavy workload now as well. Yeah, uh, possibly. I think, you know, the, the, the conversations around that in both forms of the game are pretty consistent now. I suppose there's that old-fashioned view that perhaps women might have slightly more emotional intelligence than men. I know, Probably. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I, my wife certainly has more emotional intelligence than me, but, you know, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I do think that, that both sides are, are perhaps a bit more mature when it comes to discussing topics like this. But also, you know, on the flip side as well, the, the only other thing I'd say is that the rewards for the women um, still lag behind the, the you know the the, the, the pure numbers, yeah. um, and so decisions still kind of have to be made. You know, a, a top level male cricketer is kind of making so much money these days that it's perhaps a little easier to take that step back. And you know, you do wonder whether that's the case for the women. So you need to see those pure numbers increasing. I, I still feel, but look. It's just a, a, a. It's never been a better time to be a professional cricketer, male or female. Yeah. The opportunities are, are growing all the time, and uh, I suppose you just take that moment. Sophie Eccleston, you, you touched on going to play in the Big Bash. You know, she's perhaps been quite discerning about where she goes and where, when she plays, and maybe that's the the key. You know, for the you know the top level female players, just to think very clearly about where they can get a full, all-rounded package of playing, financial reward, but also looking after themselves. And that's yes. the key, really. Yeah, I agree. Uh, crude segue here. You said uh, raw numbers. We like sort of raw numbers on, on the final word as a rule. And I, I plucked one out on Thursday night, 25,783, which was the number of days the Queen was on the throne. Like, it's a big number. Um, and I thought our, <laughs> yeah. our listeners might sort of appreciate that. We did briefly discuss on the... Daily show with Daniel Norcross and myself how well the ECB pulled that off, but you're closer to the story than Daniel and I are. It was a close run thing. I mean, they, they clearly wanted to play, but certainly when we were talking on Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, neither of us expected them to get on by Saturday and, and they managed to pull it off. And yeah, it was a fairly underwhelming test match from a competitive balance perspective, but and it was, of course, over in, in two and a bit days as far as actual cricket played. But bigger picture, um, they nailed it this week. 
Yeah, they really did. And, you know, it's a very difficult thing to try and deal with something that, that no one really has dealt with. It. Certainly the people in um, positions of, of power at the, the ECB and across all the, the sports, you know, none of them would have been involved when the last monarch passed away and the Queen uh, ascended to the throne. So this is all new territory for everyone. You know, we've had a, a bit of experience, I suppose, when Prince Philip died, you know, he was a, a great, obviously a great supporter of, of, of cricket as well. And, and, you know, I know the MCC, you know, paid appropriate tribute, but, you know, the Queen, just the longevity, you know, the, the kind of high regard that almost everyone kind of has for her as a person, let alone as, as the monarch, yeah, made it a, a difficult call because the last thing you want to do is kind of get it wrong. And, um, you know, I was chatting to, to Joe Root after the game yesterday, he told a, a lovely story about his interaction with the Queen in 2013, where uh, the players were told, you know, you're going to be introduced to, to Her Majesty and you either call her Your Majesty or you call her Mom. And Joe, you know, got a little bit flustered and, and called her Your Mom. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was a, a nice little memory for him. He said he'd never been more embarrassed, but but it was quite a sweet thing because, you know, everyone or those who've had the opportunity to meet, I, you know, I haven't done so myself, but those who have, you know, talk about how special that is and, and, and you want to do the right thing. And I think the game as a whole did the right thing here at the Oval. The, the way that the crowd kind of responded to the silence and the respect and, you know, the teams coming down, you know, here at the Oval, the... You have to come through the crowd to get onto the pitch. You know, it's a unique journey down onto the pitch. And, you know, normally that's a great opportunity for fans to to get behind their team and to, to make a lot of noise. And for not even a, a kind of pin drop to be heard uh, over such a, a period of time until, uh, of course, the, the anthems then were sung was was a great way to, I think, to, to show respect and, and to, to mark such a seismic occasion and um, you know part of my job is to take pot shots at the governing bodies when they you know step an inch out of line really and yeah. um, you know you couldn't fault uh, how they how they went about it this time it was it was something special yeah and we sort of made the point the other day as well that it's not as though we're coming at this from a monarchist sort of royalist perspective it's no, more I kind of guess no. the head of state passing away it's a massive story and it did affect the game because royalty and cricket have occasionally been hand in glove. I mean, you referred to the fact that the Queen has routinely met both English teams but touring teams as well. I've been at a number of Ashes Test matches at Lords where the Queen would come out and be presented by the captain and, of course, famously the 1977 centenary test at the MCG when, was it uh, England all out 90, Australia all out 100, or the other way around, sorry, and uh, and they thought, well, there's no way we're going to make it to tea on the fifth day when she's scheduled to, to be there, but thanks to I suppose Rod Marsh and uh, Derek Randall, they did get to the final interval on that final day and they were presented to the Queen and Dennis Lilly you know, pulls out his autograph book. So it went. And other times, like the 99 World Cup, where they all went to the Palace and uh, there's a, a famous exchange with Murray Goodwin and the Queen uh, there at Buckingham Palace. And yeah, I, I suppose when, when the Duke of Edinburgh passed away last year, there was a lot made of the fact that he was actually a cricketer. Um, I don't think the same can be really said of the new King Charles. He's uh, I, I heard a, on a podcast from 
our colleague Crash Craddock yesterday that um, he wants to dismiss Ken Barrington, Ken Barrington Centre over there where the, the nets are underneath the ground here in a Lord's Tabs game many moons ago. So it's not like he's completely unfamiliar with the game, but he's not known as a cricket person the way that his old man was. So there won't be quite the same connection as there has been historically, I suppose. But yeah, the ECB have got the crown on their logo, don't they? The insignia is up there on their logo. So it's yeah, you might be listening in, in Australia or other parts of the cricketing world or far beyond and wondering why we're devoting time to this. But over here, it is a big deal and, and, and you can't kind of avoid that. I think that's a, a really fair point to make that, yeah, it's a, obviously a huge, huge story here and, and, you know, many other parts of the world as, as well, of course. But there will also be... Yeah, huge swathes of the world um, where, you know, the monarchy and, and empire, you know, is a, a really dirty word. And, and course, uh, yeah. you know, you kind of have to uh, acknowledge and respect that, you know, each to their own in, in terms of how they, they view it. You know, there's a lot kind of bound up in uh, empire and, and, and colonialism and, 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 and whatnot. You know, now I don't feel is necessarily the time to to go down that road but you know it, it, it has an impact and, and it's you know it would be remiss of us not to to acknowledge that and, and and also you know hold it as a very valid viewpoint I think just going back on you know where the you know the cricketing support lies within the royal family at the moment you know I do think that the ECB have got a job on their hands to try and encourage the royal family you know into the game because um, you know, the hundred is here. It's supposed to be bringing new fans <laughs> to it, and you know, Prince uh, George and and Prince Charlotte. You know, Princess Charlotte. Sorry, you know, young kids kind of looking for get them down things here. to things to do. Exactly. You know, we know that well, their granddad, the king, um, went till a few days ago. Owned this ground. Owned, owned the, the uh, ground the Duchy, of Duchy, uh, Duchy of Cornwall, and and also I suppose now the. It's uh, Prince William's manner, isn't it? Well, exactly. By virtue of the... But Prince, Will, you know, we, but Prince William, Prince Harry, you know, very much committed rugby fans. Yep. You know, we've seen them in the stands watching uh, rugby internationals, big football fans as well. Uh, we know that Princess of Wales, uh, Catherine, is a, a huge hockey and tennis fan, mm. you know, often seen at Wimbledon, yet to see them at Lords too often. So let's try and get... Prince George into All Stars, uh, Princess Charlotte into All Stars, and get them. You know that that's where we want to be targeting the next generation to get the the cricket fandom in the royal family. Yeah, let's uh, leverage off their celebrity and uh, use it to our own advantage in the game. Why not? Uh, bigger picture here uh, this week at the Oval. Uh, Daniel and I spent 25 minutes sort of having a fairly grim conversation yesterday on the Daily Show, and I was pretty flat. Uh, I'm still pretty flat, to be honest, about you know where this test series might fit into a conversation we have around where test cricket might get to in, in the years to come. We were sort of discussing it yesterday at the pub as well that we, we sometimes think the, the brave new world, as it were, is, is five or ten years away, but there are increasingly signs that it's at our doorstep already and where South Africa fit into that puzzle, I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great advertisement. Some fabulous bowling on display here, by the way, especially from England, but taken as a whole, this series isn't one that they're going to make a commemorative DVD of, is it? Uh, most certainly not, no. Al almost, yeah, all three games, you know, done in the blink of an eye. I, th I think technically two of them could have been done in in two days yeah. rather than the, th the three that they kind of crept into. 
and you know you're right in, in many respects for those of us who have kind of grown up and and, and have learnt about the game over a period of time you know this is a it's a new world I'm not even sure I'd call it a brave new world because as you say you know is that the game that that those who love test cricket you know kind of want to see uh, ever in a day and I think fundamentally it's about light and shade it's about contrast you know I think by nature of the way that cricket is, is played and the impact of of white ball cricket onto red ball cricket you know it, it has sped up naturally like even before the Stokes McCullum mm. style you know far fewer draws in test cricket than, haven't than had ever before. They have test matches yeah, in South you know, Africa. Crazy stuff like that. Extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary numbers. I think 27 games haven't lasted longer than 300 overs right. as well, something like that. So the game has already moved in that direction. But I guess as long as you have the contrast where enough cricket lasts enough time, then when the, the two-day or three-day match comes along, it's not such a... A, a crazy deal it's not such a, a, a concern really I think the fact that we've had three back to back in this series kind of brings it into into sharp focus and fundamentally if the if the quality of the game if the if the, te- if the competitiveness of the game is not good enough then that's a real issue because people will will turn off even people who love the game will turn off. Yeah, it's going to require a really concerted effort from those who love test cricket in South Africa to keep the wolf from the door, really. I mean, it's just the financial reality of being so indebted to a series of IPL owners who are now effectively bankrolling South African cricket and the unintended consequences of that, I suppose unintended from those who are running the game there, but what that might mean for the players. I mean, Brevis, the, the... the kid who's meant to be the new AB de Villiers who wasn't available to play for South Africa in the white ball part of this series because he was busy in England playing on a Mumbai Indians pre-season tour, development tour, something like that. I mean, yeah, let's hope that my doom and gloom over the last month or so doesn't quite come to pass. But yeah, I feel like when people try and undermine test cricket, they can point at series like this and look at the mismatch and and so on. But in saying that, um, the next series that England play in Pakistan is likely to be in, in very different conditions, very different lineup potentially if they choose to go more spin heavy, which bowlers they they choose to, to take there, knowing that Stuart Broad's unlikely to visit upon the birth of his first child, uh, his heir, as it were. Yeah, um, yeah. Who knows? He might end up royalty one day. The way Broad he is. Um, <laughs> Yes, he's cricketing royalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which fast bowlers um, might go to accompany James Anderson, who looks an absolute lock? Whether they can get Saqib Mahmood back in time, whether Mark Wood's fit enough at an absolute pinch, Ollie Stone. Although I think it's pretty unlikely on the back of no red ball cricket, even if he is back in the England white ball stuff for Pakistan, where they go tomorrow for seventeen twenty. So you go to that? uh, I won't be going to that. No, I'm. uh, There's so much cricket being played. My duties will fall into the. The T20 World Cup yep. uh, and then the Test Series in Pakistan. But I'll, obviously I'll be following that T20 Series in Pakistan very, very closely. And um, and yeah, you, you know, you touch on, on a selection of names there. Didn't even mention Jofra Archer. Yeah, um, it's funny how we just forget he exists. <laughs> you know. Do you think Jofra will play Test Cricket again? Or Red Bull Cricket at all, to be broader? I, 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 I hope so. And... 
you know, I don't, I don't really want to write him off at this stage because, you know, he's still, you know, he's got so much ahead of him. But like, he just, he, like, where is he? Like, where, where is Joffrey could play? Kind of, well, where's Wally with him at the moment? Because yep. there's just been, yeah, setback after setback after setback, and and it's desperately cruel for him because the thing that he is supremely good at which is you know playing cricket he's has been denied him because of 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 his body and um and in the end actually i think kind of whatever decision he comes to about how he can play some cricket you know is absolutely kind of fine by me i'd I'd love to see him play test cricket so with next summer's ashes you know yeah we we hold on to 2019 as a moment in time that that contest between him and the Australian top order and oh we yearn desperately for more of the same um, you know that was life affirming cricket really um, so I'd love to see Joffa do some more of that and, and play again but you know I just I, I can't say hand on heart that it's going to happen because he's been so desperately unlucky and um, but as I say whatever in a, in a sense whatever decision he kind of has to make over his career uh, and what he can and can't do you know, it's fine. Just kind of try and do the thing that you love and that you're really good at. One cricketer who had a lengthy layoff from the England team has been recalled unexpectedly this week. Unexpectedly, I think, because after England named their, their T20 squad for Pakistan and, and the World Cup and he wasn't there, you might have thought that ship has sailed with Will Jacks on the cusp of making it. But Alex Hales, in exile back to 2019 when he was effectively excommunicated after the second negative drugs test or positive drugs test I mean Ben Stokes describing him as a was it a former friend in the um, or my friend at the time friend at the time uh, in the documentary and made a similar kind of comment uh, to the effect of uh, you know they're, they're united in their goal to win a World Cup when asked about it last week never in the good books before either by the way but they kept selecting him he seemed to have trouble follow him be it the the Bristol debacle or, or and I suppose after that really 20, 2018 was a big year for Alex Hales on the field but it immediately followed what happened uh, in Bristol in, in September 2017. He was embroiled in the racism scandal last year around having dressed up in blackface as Tupac Shakur in 2009 when he was a, a younger man. But, um, yeah, he had the path back. We knew that when Owen Morgan finished up as an international cricketer and his England captain, there might be a chance for it. Rob Key clearly doesn't have an issue with, with Hales being back because he's selected him now. But your take on how close the thing it was for him to be gone altogether when they had to make a call on whether it would be... Hales or Jacks? Well, I, I think, to my mind, uh, Rob Key is, is right that you shouldn't punish someone forever for something. And so on the kind of specific issue of the drugs test, which kind of, you know, got him his marching orders in, in 2019, you know, he kind of paid the heaviest of, of prices, really, for that not being a part of a World Cup winning squad. And I guess, you know, a lot of these things really, it's about it's about time. It's about the mood of those who matter, those who, who make those calls. So obviously the fact that Owen Morgan had moved on really opened the way for rapprochement. But, you know, I also think that if, you know, Ben Stokes had turned around and said, you know, it's him or me, 
then you know he wouldn't be in the the squad. I don't think so. So it's required a concession from Stoke. So That's I, reasonable so I do, to say. So I, yeah, I do. I, I think so. I think so. I think you know. But then Ben, you know, as well, you know, there's no tra- no trace of kind of hypocrisy there because obviously Ben himself has been through, you know, moments to to forget. Not least, obviously. Bristol as well, the two of them together. But you can see how difficult times and, you know, getting or, or having your troubles played out in public like that can have a kind of positive effect and, and undoubtedly has done in Stokes's case. And so, you know, why not for Alex Hales as well? So I think it's a, a terrific opportunity for him, one that he probably, or that he may have thought, you know, had passed him by because... Not only is it about the off-field uh, trust issues, as described by Owen Morgan, but also on the field, you know, other players, you know, he's not just fighting against his own kind of form and making sure that he's still selectable, but Will Jacks is a great example of a, of a young up-and-coming player. Phil Salt's another one. You know, yep. we had Tom Banton come through. You know, Ben Duckett. You know, there are other players that can be picked and can be better than you over a period of time. So It's like at a World Cup, they want a senior pro. And look, at yeah. 33, should be a senior pro. Like, it gone on the days of Alex Hales being an enigmatic talent who would be a match winner and would go quiet for three months. Like They need him to be consistent through the tournament and maybe his age and the domestic circuit experience he's had while he's been out of the international game. He's been everywhere making bulk cash, sure, but also making a lot of runs. Absolutely. And, you know, the tournament is in Australia, a place that he knows very, very well, you know, has had a lot of success, you know, in the Big Bash and, the, and also with England in Australia at times as well. So I think my view on, on Alex Hales is, you know, cricketing-wise, absolutely no no question there. He's, he's good enough and, uh, as you say, um, should be consistent enough. I think it's, you know, it's now up to him. He's been given a <laughs> third chance, fourth chance, whichever you want to put it. Um, it's up to him to... To not waste it and and show that just like Stokes or, or or anyone else, he's he's evolved. I would also say another thing though that you know there there are one or two other decisions that that might be made. For example, Joe Clark's a, a player who you know is starting to you know try and uh, in, uh, rehabilitate himself and, and and get himself you know picked. And Rob Key as well has talked about that. And I all I would say is that each case is different. Right, um, and you know, the same way that the ECB wanted to judge the public mood with the uh, with the monarch, I think stuff like this also requires a bit of judgment, and um, and it's up to someone like Rob Key to make the right calls at the right time for the right people. I suppose that's why he's earning the big bucks as an administrator now. Speaking of changes to the, the white ball uh, top order for Australia, there's a big one. Aaron Finch, no longer captain of the one-day team. There's a bit of a, a bit of thick of it, I thought, about Finch's resignation, the, the, um, the Malcolm Tucker line. Uh, people really like it when you go a bit early. Steely jawed, far away look in their eyes before they get to sitting in pubs saying, that fucker's got to go. Old school respect. I rather like the guy. He was hounded out by the fucking press. Finch got out for all of that. Just, just... You know, his overall record's a splendid one. The 17 one-day hundreds, over 5,400 one-day runs, average of just under 39. That was an average of 41 until a couple of weeks ago when he had a poor finish to his one-day career with low scores against Zimbabwe and New Zealand. But, yeah, it feels like he realised that in order to give himself maybe a bit of clear air before the World Cup as well, that 
providing this concession that he was going to step down from the one-day arena. This far out from a World Cup, Matt Roller and I last week were, were saying, well, look, there are 20 games until the World Cup. You probably want to have a captain in bed, well, bedded in well and truly before that tournament. Now he, he's provided maybe the next generation, maybe one of his contemporaries, and we'll come to that in a sec, the chance to, to lead that team between now and next October. Yeah, look, I, I think, first of all, Aaron Finch, I, I would say a terrific, terrific cricketer. Great guy uh, as well, but purely, you know, it's about performance. And for a long time, he's been an absolute gun for Australia at the top of the order. The sort of batsman who actually can kind of bully the opposition attack you know, the, the guy that know, you say bowlers don't don't want to face, but I think it's true. I think you, you see, it's a bit like when Jason Roy was at the, the top of his game, you know, yeah. obviously the, the two of them almost kind of dovetailing in their in their demise. But, um, you know, at the top of, you know, first ball of a one-day international and you're standing at the top of your mark and you see Aaron Finch or Jason Roy stood at the other end, you know that there's a fair chance that no matter what you do, it could disappear uh, and that is a, an intimidating place to kind of start so um, yeah I think he, he's made a he's made a fair call uh, this far out you know as as captain to step away from one day internationals I, I do also wonder whether when players make these kind of decisions you know what does it actually take everyone's different you know, Virat Kohli, for example, has had a similarly dismal time of it when it comes to output in the last couple of years. But absolutely no suggestion that he would walk away. You know, he was going to hang out until that 100 came along and, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, you know, so there it was. You know, maybe, you know, it's a, a kind of... Uh, not even a humility thing, but just a, a realization from Finch that that day might might never come again. Um, well, that just shows his emotional maturity, doesn't it? I mean, you know, he, he'll turn 36 later this year. He's been around long enough to know that you know, not many cricketers get to do it kind of on their own terms. And yeah, sure, he would have liked to have gone through to next year, I'm, I'm certain. But like, that's what we've seen from Finch as a leader all the way back to 2018 acknowledging when he took over that white ball team, they were in disarray. Tim Payne led them over here to their 5-0 thrashing in 18 immediately after Sandpaper. 6-0 if you include the, the T20. Then Finch has to kind of pull the whole thing back together. And within, you know, two and a half years of winning a T20 World Cup, unexpectedly, but he was the man with the hand on the tiller there. So, yeah, the, I reckon when we think about Finch's career, sure, it's the numbers, it's the 1700s, it's the fact that he had a great World Cup in 2019, I think four centuries in that, that competition, got them to the semi-final, the World Cup last year, but it's and, like... And a World Cup winner keep, in 15 And a well. World Cup winner in 15 yeah. with a magnificent 100 at the MCG on Valentine's Day to get that tournament going for Australia. But keeping them just on the straight and narrow, and a lot of that was shown in the, in the documentary made by Amazon, wasn't it? Yeah, Justin Langer was clearly the star of the show, air quotes, but Finch's reputation was enhanced considerably, I think, by people seeing the way he is behind the scenes and even the way he behaved when he was going through that rough trot before the 19 World Cup and he managed to kind of keep his emotions to himself and not share that baggage with his teammates. So he's a grown-up and I think that that's why, even though he's not making runs in short-form cricket right now either, they'd be very reluctant to part ways with him between now and a World Cup that starts in just over a month because of what it would do to the dressing room more broadly. I mean, cricket's a beautiful sport like that, that you can have a captain that 
uh, or, or a leader, but usually a captain who, who may not be delivering quite so much on the field, but what they bring to the team more generally can still make them a net positive. Yeah, and, and I, I do think you talk about emotional intelligence and actually I think that that is probably a kind of feature of Australian cricket in the last, you know, two or three years, thanks to people like Aaron Finch yeah. and Pat Cummings, who can kind of see uh, a bit more clearly a, a, about what it takes not only to, to win and be successful and, and, and play in that kind of rough and ready Australian way, but how to kind of almost increase the love amongst those involved and, and actually make it a, an enjoyable thing. It, it's not overly dissimilar to what Stokes and McCullum are, are doing here right now with England, but actually make that environment perhaps a, a slightly more more caring, more empathetic place to be. Um, you look at someone like Usman Khawaja, you know, who, uh, you know, kind of been through the the rough patches and, and the, the ups and downs and, and then flourished the way that he did last winter, you know, was, was a, a case in point, I think. So uh, I think you're right. I think Finch can certainly take a lot of pride in, in his impact in that environment, in that sense, in that way. But, you know, cricket's about runs and wickets and, and I think that's really where he, you know, shone brightest and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's probably a, a not a sad thing that he's gone, but he'll 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 reflect back and think that, you know, it is no more, and and that's a sad thing. Yeah, it was a proper career. And um, Nick Hockley, the chief executive, said his decision to step aside is typical of his selfless approach to the game. And I guess they'll be looking for someone with those qualities you're discussing there to take over. And this has opened up the conversation. It's a bit of a Melbourne Cup field. Depending on how you sort of interpret it, there are lots of people who are either in the chat or or, or might be in the chat and. Heavy Roller last week said, oh, well, one name you haven't mentioned, 100-to-1 shot, David Warner. Maybe he's not a 100-to-1 shot. I mean, he, he spoke at, I'm not sure what the event was today, but overnight, our time, and said that, well, he went into a bit more detail around his life band, saying that in 2018, there was more going on than met the eye. Well, he said more to it. He, he referenced the MOU in 2017. I mean, the, the interview he did with me, which ended up front-page news, saying that there may not be an Ashes series if they don't come to the table with the... Australian Cricketers Association at the time. Um, so he says here, um, things got over and above in terms of more than just Cape Town. So not a great quote from one, but you know what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that when he was banned, that there was broader dissatisfaction. He goes on to add two things. One, he's aware that every board director has turned over on CA since Cape Town, except for one. So he knows the dynamic's different. And two, he wants a conversation with Nick Hockley. He wants to sit down with Nick Hockley and see where they're at and to therefore maybe open the door to him captaining again. Now, last week or two weeks ago, that was more or less around the big bash and whether he'd be given the the reins at the Sydney Thunder in January when he becomes available to play for them. But now that Finch has pulled out a fraction earlier than we thought, who knows? I mean, it'd be a massive call. How do you think it'd be received outside of Australia? Um, I would love it. <laughs> I would absolutely love it. The, the the fun and games that we could have uh, with David Warner as captain of Australia yeah, would yeah. be too delicious not to look. I, I think I think they'd probably be not crazy, but it'd be a, it'd be a big stretch to install David Warner as captain of Australia. When you look at, even though I think that in the end the 
the reaction to Sandpaper Gate and, and everything that went on there was <laughs> slightly over the top. You did get a sense of just how horrified the Australian public were with it. And you got a real sense of the regard with which they they kind of hold the the, the team and, and those kind of offices. Maybe the fact that it's white ball rather than test captain might make a difference. Well, that's what they were going to do um, with him, right? So you go back to 20, early 18, they made him white ball captain. A couple of times it's his absence from 16, 17, early 18, that tri-series that we were at and before the tour of South Africa when England and New Zealand were, were playing T20s against Australia, both in Australia and New Zealand. And Warner did an awesome job, won every game. And I suspect they were laying the groundwork for him to take over the white ball team ahead of the 2019 World Cup and have Smith doing the test cricket and, and Warner doing the white ball stuff. So it's never been a question of whether he can do it. It's that kind of, how will the public accept it? And remember that similar conversations were had around Steve Smith when he briefly became test captain last year in Adelaide, whether the public would accept such a, such a thing. And I think broadly speaking, they did. I don't remember too much animosity towards Smith doing it. I suppose it was a one-off, but it might, 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 maybe it's different with Warner bigger personality more well, baggage yeah and 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 also kind of you know personality as well in the lead up to it as well you know yeah. the, the 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 issue of of the priest or the bull or what 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 is he going to be this week <laughs> you know who knows i mean all those things kind of kind of go into it and and i th- and i also just looking from afar you know talking about the the big bash you know there's been a huge kerfuffle over you know whether or not He's awarded a, a, a big bash deal. You know, he almost kind of... It was a sort of come and get me, you know, who's going who's yeah, to yeah. pay the, the big bucks for me to come and, to come and play? And, and I'm not sure how that kind of sits with everyone as well, that, you know... Well, there is that, that is relevant to the conversation because, you know, Warner does well, gets out ahead of it, effectively earns himself more money than anyone else who's an Australian playing in that domestic right. 2020, the big bash. And, you know, Smith clearly is pissed... He's had two bites of the cherry now, expressing his dissatisfaction that he hasn't been given the same level of financial support, I guess being topped up by CA, would that be the right way of describing it? And that's not going to happen because Smith's not seen as, a, as an important T20 player as Warner is, and that's kind of understandable. But it happens at the same time that Smith's been making runs and that if Finch isn't there, would Smith be the one-day captain? Personally, I can't imagine a scenario where you'd want Steve Smith captaining any team anywhere at the moment because, A, he's so... It's myopic in his attitude towards... I mean, he is so focused on his batting. You see that watching him up close in the nets to the point of obsession. Good or bad, I don't want to get into on that. Let him, But let him do that. Just let him be the obsessive-compulsive dude that he is batting and making runs, as he did against New Zealand last week. And, you know, don't burden him with what is a pretty big responsibility in a World Cup year. So, I mean, there is Smith... It could be Maxwell if they want another, not contemporary of Finch. He's a couple of years younger, well, contemporary, but by that I mean how old they are. I think Finch is now nearly 36, Max is 34. Alex Carey might be the obvious one from an age profile perspective, but isn't playing T20 cricket. So if they want one white ball captain, he'll fall short there. Mitch Marsh was player of the World Cup final last year in the T20 format, but, you know, doesn't play consistent cricket for Australia because he's rarely fit enough to do so, and that's no slight on him it's just the reality of his body and that it does break down quite a bit so there are a lot of that Pat Cummins I said last week might be a good shout for one year just to get it through into the World Cup overnight he, he didn't close the door on that on, on doing both jobs but he did say that 
his main priority has to be the test job and nothing he no decision he will make will compromise that kind of like what Ben Stokes said when he retired from one day cricket mindful of that heavy workload in a one day World Cup year they'll be playing so much I doubt Cummins will play in every series so there's no obvious captain and I suppose that's why we look at you know Warner as well in the absence of the obvious he, he might be the left field guy I mean I suppose the the stress is coming up for Cummings as well in test cricket with trying to get into that World Test Championship final yep. and, and try and win that immediately before an Ashes series as well is kind of you know understandably the priority I mean you know as I said the, the, the idea that David Warner might be captain of Australia again you know would be um, you know journalist manner from, from heaven and imagine um, it was captaining Smith as well by the way That'd be tasty. And, and, and yeah, even <laughs> even even better. Yeah. Um, but I think I think one of the things about you know having the right captain for the right time is is it's such a, a skill and such a thing to to kind of alight on. So you know, for example, England at the moment have got Josh Butler kind of taking over from from Owen Morgan and you know kind of anointed very much you know years previously and sure. it's been a, a very seamless almost you know. Royal-esque kind of ascension for him, and immediately, you know, they've hit the buffers and, and have and have really struggled this summer. You know, just trying to follow on and and, and take things the same way as as Morgan. So it's it's just not. It's what I'm trying to say is it's not easy to get the right people in the right positions of responsibility at the right time because it's a kind of alchemy that if we all knew what the, the secret was you know everyone would win all the time yeah. but they don't and I do think that Australia you know almost kind of having won that T20 World Cup now going into another one on home soil great opportunity you know to double up and, and kind of be uh, you know and retain that title to then go to India and try and win a 50-over World Cup where so many of their players have got so much experience, you know, will relish the smaller grounds um, and, and, and do huge damage out there. You know, it's a great opportunity for Australia. So to get the right person in place at this stage, whether it's for a year or 18 months, is kind of crucial. And I, I can't see that David Warner brings about that transition particularly easily. If it were me, who's the one they... You would pick him. Well, you no, would no, pick no, him like yeah, that. The truth is I wouldn't. I, I think that the, it, would, it, would put, it would put too much pressure on him at the latter part of his career. And I know he loves that. Like Dave loves that stuff, right? But I think that you are running the risk of burdening a player who probably is in decline already. A few years ago, the chance, to, story. the chance to go back to India and, and win a, a World Cup out there I mean, oh, I mean he would love it but I think that if you want to get your most out of Dave Warner not a bit different to Smith I think with Smith it's more a personality thing with Warner it's more uh, like he's clearly hit that you know he's on the way down not in terminal decline but in some sort of decline so the best play I think is to let him be a senior player around the room without burdening him with all the extra pressure there would be Glenn Maxwell, on the other hand, he's one player who will be in both formats. He will be... I mean, if, if Finch does pull the pin, remembering that Australia next go to India for three T20 internationals before the World Cup, yeah. it doesn't go well. And they do want to make a change. It might be five T20s, actually. In any case, there's a lot of cricket. Australia play England as well, don't they? If it gets to the point where Finch goes on the, on the stroke of the World Cup, look, I can't in good faith continue on. I'm not making any runs. I'm going to retire from all formats now as an Australian player. The only guaranteed lock in the top seven who isn't 
Warner and putting Smith to one side is Maxwell. And he's done the job both in the IPL and for many years for the Melbourne Stars. Another one of these empathetic characters who you know, has that personality trait. And people will say that I'm just talking about Maxie because I, I tend to, and that's fair enough. That's a reasonable criticism. But I think he might be a good fit but time will tell. Mentioned before, Australia have been playing one-day cricket this week in the uh, Chapel Hadley Trophy, the time-honoured, the trophy they play for every year occasionally, and then they wait 10 years to play it another time. No 50s in the whole series for New Zealand. It was a real weird kind of throwback, which I didn't mind. You know, we often talk about how test cricket in different parts of the world give you different results and and different rhythms of play or or some version of that. If you're going to play under lights at the end of winter in the top end of Australia. It is, of course, going to be different to playing on a belter in the daytime Adelaide Oval in January. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, even if it is the same country. So, yeah, even it, it did feel like a throwback to the 90s in a way. That first one day out with Australia set 233. So in the first innings, Kane Williamson top scored with 45 from 71 balls. And, you know, the fifth bowler, Maxwell, taking a forfer. That's very 90s energy there. But then Australia, full foul of Matt Henry and Trent Bolt, who run wild, Finch, Smith, Labuschagne, and Stoinis all out in single digits. Enter Cameron Green and, and Alex Carey. They're, I guess it's the, the Michael Bevan, Andy Bickle, Michael Bevan, Paul Rifle, something like that. If you want to go back to when they were pulling off stunts and chases from nowhere at that stage Australia were 44 for five and that pair added 158 to get them over 200 Kerry 85 from 99 his second big effort chasing after that Old Trafford win a couple of years ago they did lose a couple of late wickets so Green needed Adam Zampa to come in and bosh 13 not out at the end but the big fella finished with 89 not out from 92 balls like it's not even a thing Australia win by two wickets five overs early and it felt like a sort of a watershed moment in Cameron Green's white ball career after he picked up a five for the previous work he gets in Barbway, he plays in innings like that under serious pressure, under lights to get another victory with the bat. Yeah, look, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table right now. You know, I was in Australia for the Ashes uh, over the last winter and all kind of performances were put in. You know, it was a pretty dominant display, of course, from Australia. But the one player that just captivated me and mm. just... I don't know. I just I just wanted to watch every time he had the ball in his hands, every time he came to the to the wicket um, was Cam Green. I just think you know for all the talk about all rounders and Australia's kind of rotten love affair with all rounders, <laughs> um, here, here's a guy potentially who could be an absolute star, and you know he's he's got all the skills, all the attributes. You know he can bowl properly quick and coming down from a you know seeming about 10 foot five he's just uh yeah he's just a, a wonder to to watch you know and 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 i think as well when you when you are that side when you are that big obviously you kind of people are people are drawn to you anyway i think it's almost more miraculous when you're able to to do incredible things with it when you're able, able to move so well i mean he watching him at gully he stood at gully all series and unless you hit it like two and a half yards past him, uh, either side of him, you had no chance of getting around him. I think he's already the best gully fielder I've ever seen. And he's <laughs> 22 incredible. or something. Incredible. I mean, because gully's no longer a catching... Well, it's, it's, it's evolved. It used to be a gully there for, you know, go back to the 80s and the 90s. A lot of, a lot of batters were caught in the gully. Yes. Um, because bowlers would bowl a fraction shorter outside the off stump with yeah, that mode of dismissal in mind. Splice. Yeah, yeah. 
Bowlers don't do that quite so much anymore. So Gully is there to save runs. And Green, you know, that wingspan and his athleticism, he never lets anything through. Exactly. And, and so, you know, one of the the things that we always do, you know, is we try and look at matchups and, and who, who's the opposite man. Uh, you know, the, the captains, the fastest bowlers, the best batsmen. Well, of course, Stokes and Green. Stokes and Green. Next the, year. Know, the two all-rounders next huge, year. What a contest that will be. Cannot wait for that. And yeah, so now seeing him, you know, deliver with with the white ball as well you know it's just kind of the evolution of his career um that confidence that belief that um he can do it across formats and uh, and of course then across conditions and it's also going to bring in a, a you know another dimension to what we were talking about right at the start of the podcast which is the balance you know when do you play how much do you play mm. what your priorities are how do you make sure that you're you know if you're an all format player that you're absolutely fit and firing for the contest the event the series the tournament that you really want to be and, and need to be and um, that's going to be a, a real sort of jigsaw for Cam Green to kind of solve as much as anyone so um, yeah it was it was. I, I saw those scores coming out from that Chapel Adley uh, trophy um, <laughs> in England we have this saying that you know football's a game Played by you know 22 and kicking a ball around for 90 minutes at the end, Germany win on penalties. Mm. Well, I would say you know cricket's a game played by you know 22 players, you know, and at the end of the series, Australia beating New Zealand 3-0. Yeah. You know, it, it was kind of yeah. <laughs> almost inevitable. Even though New Zealand, a terrific side, you know, have, have done so much. You know, we know about all the finals and the trophies and the World Test Championship. I kind of feel that maybe New Zealand's just a bit burnt out, like just as a mm. cricketing. Nation. Well, it's the same guys playing every format, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the same guys, yeah. You know, and they're terrific. And they're, they're, there's been a little bit of, or they're trying to regenerate a bit. Obviously, Ross Taylor's moved on. Yeah. You know, Daryl Mitchell's emerged as you know a, a international of, of high quality. But you know, Kane Williamson, yeah. You know, the pressure on him is immense. You know, trying to battle with his with his elbow and and, and still hit the hit the heights. I just feel that maybe, you know, it's taken so much for New Zealand cricket to reach the summit of across the board that actually they're now a bit a bit screwed. Yeah, and they rely so much on their bowlers, don't they? I mean, the second one day, they keep Australia to 195 for nine. So I said the first one day was like the 90s. Well, that's kind of like the 80s. You know, that was a score you might be able to defend at the MCG on a huge ground with big boundaries and all the rest. But, yeah, Smith's top scoring was 61 from 94. Bolt four for Henry, three for 33. Uh, Southie, one for 39. So, again, very 80s figures. And then the collapse, though, all out for 82 in 33 overs. Williamson top scoring with 17. Zampa, five for Stark, two for 12 from seven. And how about this? Sean Abbott, five overs, four maidens, two for one. So unusual analysis in, in the modern game. Then the third one day, they released Warner to go back uh, and have a breather before a pretty busy international summer coming up. So Finch, for his final one day, after announcing that retirement, had Josh Inglis with him for company at the top of the order. He was bowled by Tim Southey, Finch that is, for five. Probably a fitting way to go, given that Finch, for all his magnificent contributions over the years, he was bowled a leg before early to the, the opposing team's best swing bowler. An overwhelming number of times, so Southie would have fancied that matchup, given that that Finch had sort of one foot at the door at that stage. Steve Smith came in at three and made a century, 105 from 131 balls, batting at number three to bolster his 50-over credentials as he did throughout the series. Really, a couple of big scores against well, 
couple of con- contributions against Zimbabwe. And you know, just when we were thinking before the series, maybe there's only room for one of Smith or Labuschagne. In the last game, Smith makes 100. Labuschagne makes a half century. There was 42 not out from Kerry to end the series, which can only help. And sure enough, Green was there as well, making 25 not out from 12 balls to set. Uh, they set them about 270-odd, and New Zealand were all out for 242. Six scores between 21 and 47, nobody going on with it. It was, again, Sean Abbott with the squeeze, two for 31 from 10 with, with three maidens, and the rest of the wickets going to the usual suspects. But, yeah, Sean Abbott's a bowler that got an opportunity a couple of years ago to make his international debut, or, sorry, his one-day debut, had to wait a couple of years, been 12th man an awful lot. Back in the 11, two really good performances. Again, it shows that depth Australia have got with the ball. Yeah, it does. And it also goes to show the quality, I think, is, or, or the impact that the Big Bash can have because Sean yeah. Abbott has been a Big Bash star, you know, during uh, that period, um, you know, consistently delivering. So, yeah, good to see him, you know, out there and taking his international chance now um, because, you know, like everything... You know, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummings, you know, it just trips off the tongue, but they're not going to be around forever. No, um, they're and, and they're a stifter older than you think, especially Stark. They're, I mean, they're, yeah. not, they're not 27-year-olds anymore, with the exception of Cummins, who might be 27, but no. the others who are in their 30s now. Absolutely, and, and, and they're playing all formats as yeah. well. It's not as though, obviously, you know, Broad and Anderson that we saw here yesterday only play... Test cricket. I mean, not yeah. even first-class cricket. Only play test cricket. <laughs> there aren't any first-class matches for them to play. But uh, you know, these guys are playing. You know, white ball, domestic, international, and red, and they've been utterly incredible. But having that conveyor belt through Australian cricket, through their uh, state, uh, BBL, and and uh, and onwards. Um, yeah, Sean Abbott is a guy who. You know, goes to show it still works, really. Absolutely. Um, so the yeah. system works and all yeah. the rest. Uh, we can take a quick breather here, Dino. Before doing so, as we do every week on our weekly edition of the Final Word, a little bit of nerd pledge. Now, this is where uh, members of our broader Final Word community who contribute to the Patreon page send in numbers relating to cricket, so that it isn't just sending us a two dollars or a fiver or a tenner. They specifically tailor their number to cricket, and we have to work out what they're talking about. Josh Taylor is up this week with seven fifty six. It's a an AUD pledge, he sent a clue through. It reads as follows. While walking the dog listening to episode 90, I was inspired by the Boonie number plate and started investigating every car we walked past. That was a a pledge of ours that I think the number plate was B00N and then a few numbers after which related to one of Boonie's test hundreds and it it wasn't a tailored number plate, it was just the number plate that happened to come out of the... They make them in prisons, don't they, number plates? So um, goes on to say the number plate he saw was IGUT756. I got seven for 56. Quite clever there. Um, if I ever managed to get such figures, I'd probably get a vanity plate as well. I'm also aware of a famous subcontinental seven for 56. So feel free to tell that story or another. I give you a free hit. So on this, uh, there are a series of fabulous seven for 56s in, in test cricket. Warney took seven for 56. At Sydney in 1994 against South Africa. It had a subcontinental feel at the SCG that week. It was the, the test match that Farney de Villiers ended up winning uh, on the final day, bowling at Australia for about 100. So I don't think it'll be that, though. Sydney Barnes in 1914 against South Africa in Durban. It's fairly standard for him, though, taking 7 for 56 against that opposition. Barnes against South Africa, 83 wickets at 9.85 in seven test matches against them. 12 fifers 
and six 10-wicket matches. So there weren't many times he bowled against South Africa without taking at least five. Uh, in the same era, Wilfred Rhodes was the first person to ever take that analysis 10 years earlier at Melbourne in 1904. That was a test that started on New Year's Day, the second of a series where England had already won at Sydney thanks to Tip Foster's 287 on debut, which was the, the world record at the time. Plum Warner's team uh, were the first that had been taken by the MCC that wasn't like a private operation before 1904. You know, retrospectively, these were considered test matches, but it was always a bit, you know, um, they, were, they were effectively amateurs who would have the, the resourcing to, to get to Australia, with the exception of the first team, who were mostly pros. Yeah, in the second test match, England made 315, which proved plenty because Monty Noble's team were routed for 122 in reply, with Rhodes taking 7 for 56. And we spent a lot of time talking about his long career. There's a new book out at the moment about... Wilfred Rhodes, who had you know, a test career that spanned 31 years through until 1930, so a much younger man in 1904. However, I'm pretty sure that what is being referred to here by Josh as a subcontinental feat would be Kapil Dev. This was a really important test series. It was the first time that India had hosted Pakistan in test cricket for 20 years in 1979-80. So they're in Chennai in 1980, um, which is where Kapil Dev takes seven for 56. The same test match remade, 84 from 98. He described it as his best all-round performance for India in test cricket. Ten wickets for the match all up. They win the test and go on to win the series 2-0 against Pakistan. And yes, it was um, a momentous achievement to not only host them, but to, to win against them. And it's a shame they, they don't play more test cricket these days, Dino. We saw Indians up against Pakistanis in the championship this week, though, so playing red ball cricket. Uh, if only it were possible for it to happen in India and Pakistan rather than only in domestic cricket over here. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, we're almost guaranteed an India-Pakistan white ball contest in ICC events. And Yep. When you when you turn up to an ICC event, uh, the way that the accreditation works, that uh, they have a kind of hierarchy and, and preference is always given to journalists from the competing nations. Yep. So if England are playing, I will be you know I asked to turn up and I will get a ticket and so on. But other matches, you know, Australia versus New Zealand, there's no guarantee that you might get a pass. But obviously the one that everyone wants to go to is India versus Pakistan. That is like a you know, gold dust kind of ticket. But I've been lucky enough to go to a few of them. The most recent one being the T20 World Cup in Dubai when Pakistan beat India. And, you know, kind of watching Shaheen Shah Afridi tear in at uh, the Indian batsman and taking wickets to the most unbelievable cacophony of noise. I mean, it's kind of spine-tingling stuff just because you understand the the history and the, I guess, the national animosity, but also kind of support for each other as well because, you know, that it is that kind of awkward relationship, you know, on both sides of the, of the coin. The players seem to embrace it more than any administrator could possibly imagine. So, yeah, it's a great shame that they don't play more Test cricket, but it, it's, a, it's a thrill to be able to watch it when it comes around. Yeah, they're playing at the MCG in the World Cup in about a month from now. I mean, I think they've sold it out. They've sold out all the standing room as well. It's very unusual for uh, the MCC and, and those that run the MCG to release 
tickets for standing room unless it's like a grand final for the footy. But they've already sold out all the standing room behind the, the seated bays on the bottom deck. So, as you said, the atmosphere is going to be ridiculous off, off when, when those two teams play. Yeah. And, they're, uh, and they're both really good at the moment as well. Yeah, in that, yeah. Especially in that format. But Pakistan, generally, their cricket's really strong, almost... I don't want to say kind of inspired by the fact that they're playing at home, but how great that they've got a really good team across the board now playing at home again, um, which is, you know, as I mentioned right at the top of the show, going to watch England play there in the Test Series is uh, something I can't wait to do. So, yeah, having India really strong, obviously, because, you know, they're India and they have more players than anyone can shake a stick at. But Pakistan are really strong as well at the moment. Some great batsmen, terrific fast, fast bowlers. Oh, I'm, I'm getting excited just even thinking about it now. And we'll have the chance to talk about Pakistan in a tick when we return from a brief break. Uh, thanks to Josh Taylor for his 756. If we're all right, let us know uh, in the usual way. If we weren't, we can revisit it on Storytime. I've got Daniel Norcross with me uh, for Storytime this week. We're recording it tomorrow. Um, it was a bit jarring when we <laughs> released Storytime like about five minutes after the announcement of the Queen passing away last week. That wasn't by design. It just happens that way sometimes. It's what she would have wanted. It's what she would have wanted, exactly. Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you would like to make a contribution and help Jeff and me do what we need to do to cover the game the way we like to cover it uh, week in week out around the world okay a break on the show back in a minute to wrap it up hi my name's Kate Cross and you're listening to the final word with Adam and Jeff Final Word Podcast with Adam Collins and Dean Wilson. County cricket and the championship. We're reaching the pointy end of of, uh, what's been another captivating season. We saw games last week played through the working week again this week and two more. So effectively the month of September and we'll find out who'll get to hold up the trophy. Uh, Lanks played magnificently against Northants. They managed to just get to the 400 mark in time to collect all the bonus points thanks to Kyle Abbott smashing 57 not out in 45 balls and after doing that they bowled out Northants for 175 and 221 just before the rain set in which meant they got full points Uh, Keith Barker took six wickets out of the 20 Abbas five Abbott four full of four including the last they're such a balanced attack Hampshire and they they just get their nose ahead in division one Against ahead of Surrey, rather, who play their next home game here at the Oval against Yorkshire next week. That push and pull to the finish line between those teams is wonderful. It's just a bloody shame they don't play each other a second time due to the inelegant way that the top division works with 10 teams, the bottom division with eight teams. So if you're in the top flight, there are some sides you won't play home and away. And it just happens to be this season, that's Surrey and Hampshire who are one and two. Yeah. We could do an entirely separate podcast about the inelegance of English domestic cricket and, and even with uh, a review and, and new solutions being formulated as we speak. Uh, I still, still suspect it, it probably won't, uh, it won't be all that smart. But even so, it's a, a terrific way. Time after time, the, the, the championship does manage to find itself at the right of the death of the season with uh, you know at least two if not three teams pushing for the title and also having okay you don't have uh, a Surrey Hampshire contest but the final game of the season is Surrey Lancashire yes um, which could have a, obviously a, a huge impact on the destination of the trophy depending on what happens in the next round and so. Lancs can notionally still win it as well I mean they're, they're well back in the pack in third but Surrey haven't started well against Northants this week 
So Northampton's had a good day one yesterday. I haven't yeah. caught up with what's happened this morning. But, yeah, it, it is. there is still a world where if Surrey lose to Northampton again here at home next week against Yorkshire, a game that Norcross and I are commentating for Surrey, so you'll be able to tune into that on, on the I, stream. I will be along for that, yeah. It's going to be a really big week here at the Oval. But, yeah, that, 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 you're right. It is relevant all the way to the finish line, as it was last year. Down in Division 2, where they have the elegant draw, uh, knots are some 33 points ahead, so they'll definitely get the the first promotion spot after they thrashed Leicestershire last week. Glamorgan, Derbyshire and Middlesex were all within four points of each other for the other promotion slot, albeit with Glamorgan having a game in hand and they're playing Middlesex at Lords at the moment so a lot will hinge on uh, the outcome of that game. And then we obviously have the Royal London Cup final which yeah, it's off-Broadway that competition these days Dino due to the fact that it, it clashes with the 100 but Saturday, Trent Bridge, uh, we have Lancashire up against Kent after Lanks beat Sussex in the semi-final and Kent beat Hampshire in the other semi with Steve-O making that wild unbeaten 84 in about 50 deliveries, whether it's the end of his career or not. Who's to know? I'm sure someone will sign him. It's, it's the Darren Stevens Cup, isn't it? Really? Yes. This, week, this, this year. Um, yeah, I mean, the Royal London Cup, you know, utterly marginalised by the 100, but actually, I think, managed to kind of find its find its niche because, you know, there was some young talent able to, yeah. you know, get a go, um, you know, certainly from a, a sort of put my Middlesex hat on for a moment, <laughs> you know, Stevie Eskenazi, yeah. you know, Anthony Farish put my Middlesex and Stanmore hat on, you know, uh, Stevie Eskenazi scoring 400s in a row, or was it three and then four and five or whatever, you know, just incredible form um, from him. Didn't he get a hundred deal? Uh, well... Do you know what though? Well, if, Second he, if, year in he, a row. If, if he'd got a hundred deal, I mean, he, yeah, he should have a hundred deal, and he should be playing. But if he'd got a hundred, if even even if he managed to get into the uh, hundred, you know, as a replacement, you know, he, he would have ended up sitting on the True. bench, what you True. know, playing no cricket. Um, at least he managed to to play some cricket, and yet, you know, at the same time, um, you know, counties were playing. I think eight games of. Or eight days of cricket in four, in forty five, you know, in peak summer months, um, it's just not not conducive for a, uh, a a domestic structure to to have such little uh, cricket um, for for so many players. It does feel like next year, though, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Will that it'll be pretty exciting. I think having the Royal London Cup played in April next, if that if that's the way we end up, and having county cricket the championship played in August alongside the 100, which might be a better bedfellows and getting more cricket into August by virtue of the fact that they are four-day fixtures, purely because it's bloody cold in April and running around playing 50-over cricket makes a lot more sense than standing with three slips in a gully when it's two degrees. Yeah, that, that does make more sense. And actually, um, you know, yes, the conditions sometimes are a little um, fruity, but actually it's, uh, you know, the start of the season where pitches are, are sometimes actually rather good because yep. the groundsmen have had lots of time to prepare exactly. them and so um, I think you might find that there'll be some pretty tasty scores as well in that being the case um, correct me if I'm wrong I think in Australia the the, the one that the Marsh Cup is kind of the curtain raiser for the, for it, the season it, it has been for a long time and they, they do it in blocks now so it's a little bit different to the way it used to be but you're fundamentally right they, they, they play a lot of 50 over cricket at the very start of the summer yeah. and then I mean look I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on the month of August question because I know that it does make people very angry. But it is worth noting that there is no domestic four-day cricket played in Australia for about 
three months because of the Big Bash. It's probably two months now. But there is a long window in the middle of the summer where it's only domestic T20 cricket and they play the Shield mostly October, November, March. Or a bit of February into March. So it isn't completely... It, it's quite similar to what we have here it is. for the Big Bash Shade 100. The yeah. difference, of course, being that I think we've always been conditioned to there not being quite so much shield cricket exactly. in the middle of the it's summer, ten, whereas county cricket's always been a mid-summer exactly. sport here. It's a 10-game ten, ten shield, and you also, you know, you don't have really the issue of games being washed out, kind True. of, you know, either end of the season. You know, we're sat here, rain's falling, you know, pretty steadily. You know, unlikely to happen, you know, in February in uh, Sydney or whatever. But uh, anyway, the, the, the point is that... The Royal London Cup, yeah, is a little bit of an afterthought at the moment, but I'll be, you know, tuning into that final and seeing because, you know, fundamentally the game, you know, keeps moving, players keep coming through and, you know, this is conveyor belt, it's a conveyor belt of talent right the way through and we've talked about Big Bash and the 100 and England and Australia and all these, you know, every player who's playing for England at the moment has played in the Royal London Cup or yeah. its equivalent, you know, so everyone starts somewhere and it, holds a huge amount of importance uh, on that journey. And credit to Kent, who are not going to pick any of their 100 players. And by, So, I mean, you could argue that they're not giving, you know, the spectators the best possible product in not picking Billings, which is the most noteworthy of, of that lot. But that's with the one that brung you. You know, they're letting the, the younger players that have got Kent to the final the chance to play on the big stage at Trent Bridge in, in the one-day cup final out. I think there's something to be said for that. I'll, I'll be interested to see whether, whether Lancashire do something similar. Uh, the other trophy that was decided this week was the Asia Cup. We haven't focused a lot on the Asia Cup with the exception of the, the Pakistan-India games the last two weeks, but what an achievement from Sri Lanka to win that trophy for the sixth time, knocking off Pakistan in the final. They made 170 for six with Rajapaksa. 71 not out from 45 balls. He's a star on the rise. Hasaranga who was the, the big top money billing or top money player, I should say, in the IPL uh, this year, making 36 from 21, coming in at seven. Uh, and then with the ball taking three for 27, he's obviously a star. Last year in the World Cup over in the UAE, we saw players like Patam Nasanka coming through. Gunal Thilika has um, been a player who's been fairly consistent for a while now. Kushal Mendes, who hasn't been quite so consistent, but certainly, as we saw when Australia were there playing test cricket recently, and as far back as 2016, is a high-quality player. I'm not saying they're going to win the World Cup in Australia next month, but they, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they made the semis. And that's a great thing, that Sri Lanka having endured probably four or five years of really plumbing the depths of the, of the international rankings across the formats, have had a pretty good year at test level knocking Australia off in that second test, beating Pakistan in a test match at Gaul as well, beating Australia in the one-day series they played, 3-2 I think it was, and now knocking off Pakistan in the Asia Cup final. Good on them. Uh, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, two things I'll say about, about that. Well, three things actually. You know, what a place Sri Lanka is. What a, what a yeah. gem, you know, of an island to produce... The, not only the, the quality of players that it has done over the years, but just the continued conveyor belt of talent um, is is just sensational. And, and you know, it's a place uh, that that is very dear to my heart. I love going to Sri Lanka, and 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 also just seeing the kind of players that they that they can produce as well. Kind of you know doing it their own way, unorthodox, yeah. etc. But the, the the other thing is you know they've won this tournament, they've won the Asia Cup, they've beaten Australia, um, as you mentioned. 
and they've done it with Chris Silverwood at the helm. You know, yeah, Chris Silverwood, who you know was kind of turfed out um, from from his England role after you know very disappointing winter, very disappointing Ashes. You know, things just kind of were, were you know just seemed all a little bit too much for him um, with England. But you know, he's a good man, and he's you know absolutely died in the wool. You know, cricket, you know, cricketer, and you know, cricket coach. Uh, and just to see him get that success um, uh, as a coach kind of really validates him, I think, uh, you know, that, you know, he does know what he's talking about um, uh, uh, when, when it comes to the game. I think it was a, a difficult set of circumstances that he had with England. You know, we kind of, we do brush over the COVID bubble scenario, you know, because we all live through it and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, clearly uh, an extraordinarily difficult time for those involved with England. So I just, I, I like Chris and I, and I just think it's uh, it, it's good to see him enjoy some some success as an international coach with, uh, with Sri Lanka. We're, we're quite lucky in our jobs, of course, to get sort of occasionally these unguarded moments with people in the game where, you know, they're not in front of the camera, but you're witnessing them in their personal lives and probably one of the most memorable moments of my 2022 was when Sri Lanka beat Australia in that second test match and I'm not sure who Chris was speaking to on FaceTime it might have been his family probably a family member but you could see he was almost on the cusp of tears he's this beaming smile on the balcony um, telling his again a shim family member what his team had just achieved and how proud he was of his of his young side really special stuff and yeah as you point out having endured so much over the winter and it going so horribly wrong and you know, all the online stuff you cop when you're in a position like that from people who've never met you and never are likely to meet you, but they assume that you're a dreadful human being because <laughs> yeah, the team exactly. are performing poorly. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that vindication and, and onto a World Cup they go. And, and, and sorry, and just an, an additional thing as well with Sri Lanka, you know, also a country in the throes of kind of yeah. uh, political and economic utter turmoil, uh, you know, queues for, for fuel and food and... Um, you know, protests and, and just, you know, everything kind of bubbling to the surface there as, as well, the kind of the backdrop for a lot of these players, you know, trying to go about their careers, you know, undoubtedly with, you know, friends and family kind of, um, you know, suffering back at home as well. So, yeah, a real triumph over adversity for, for Sri Lanka. The, the only other series I want to touch on quickly, and we'll do a lot more on this next week when they've, when they've played more cricket, but the first game between England and, and India's women has been played. That was on Saturday. The first of six white ball games, three T20s, then three one-day internationals. There was a crowd of 5,000 at Durham, and that prompted some people to complain. I don't think that was a bad outcome, really, considering the, the Queen's passing, poor weather, haven't played a one day north of like Watford and that's wrong it's north of Derby but still you know the point I'm trying to make yeah. they don't tend to play one day cricket or, or 20 over cricket up north as England women too often so it's not new ground but it's ground they haven't covered in a while and it was the same day as a test match taking place at the Oval which naturally would have generated plenty of activity so you know 5,000 is what you get when they sell out Essex Fortress Chelmsford and so on and so that, that's the first point to make on that I think uh, uh, listen I, I think I think you're right. I think as well that um, we have to kind of acknowledge just the the, the glut of cricket as well. Absolutely, you know, yeah. There is so much cricket, absolutely so much cricket being played. And, you know, gosh, I can remember being... Was it this year we were in Durham when the, with the heat wave, was it, I think? Yeah, it was this year. Yeah. I think it was... Yeah. yeah, I think we were up there, you know... First um, one day, yeah. You know, absolutely packed out Durham ground, you know, the hottest day on, on record. Um... 
and you know that was part of a of a, of a white ball series you know where teams were were playing back to back games day after day and you know play travel play you know no time to 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 recover and and on the back of that 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 has not stopped all the way through this summer there has been game after game after game after tournament after tournament and and again I I go back with the women you know the commonwealth games kind of shoehorned yeah. in, into it as well uh, plus the 100 and then now this uh, series at the back yeah you know a crowd of 5000 you know I don't think is is bad at all I think it's absolutely terrific that we've had over 20,000. You know, I mentioned the game I came here. Yeah. It was over 14,000 uh, came to watch the women's game first up, which, by the way, was, I think I might have mentioned to you before about Smriti Mandana, mm. who has become, you know, one of my faves now, just watching the watching her bat, the timing off her bat that day is a, a sound. You know, it's a bit, you know, like when um, we have the recordings of, Simon Jones and uh, uh, yeah, the Michael Clock the Donk, yeah. <laughs> and you know a sound that stays with it? Well, Smriti Mandana's cover drive, the sound, stays with me this summer. Well, here's the good news, right? So they're starting this series at a test venue, Durham. Well, it has been a test venue. They're finishing it at Lords, the one day that's being played on week Saturday from when we're recording this. That's going to be really cool. Uh, England's women returning to Lords for the first time since 2017. Yeah. The Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy being final being played the following day also at Lord's I think it's a two for one offer yeah, going the, with the tickets with the Rachel Hayhoe Flint gate so a great, a great in, chance yeah. to if you haven't watched the, the women if you haven't watched Smitty Mardana bat in the flesh and I've had the privilege of doing it as well I think it's, is it 20 quid to get in and look that might sound like a lot if you haven't been to much international cricket but believe me that isn't a lot compared to most international yeah. tickets in this country and Mardana um uh, in the end, she, she only got a start in that first T20. She got 23 from, from 20 balls. They struggled to 132 for 17. And I, and I do think as well for the England women, this is a good opportunity for them, you know, up against a, a very decent uh, India side to actually, you know, finish this summer on, on a high because I think the Commonwealth Games was a was a real disappointment. Um, yeah. Well, the whole international know. summer full stop because I think if, you know, if you're just looking at it through the parochial England lens, yeah, you know, uh, Broad, Anderson, Robinson, bowl outstandingly well. They win in two and a bit days. Uh, three cheers, God save the King. But in reality, that you know, it, it, I am unfulfilled, and I think most cricket lovers writ large would feel much the same. They might get that fulfilment uh, with these two very competitive teams and their rivals now too, remembering that India did knock off England in the Commonwealth Games semi-final. They've played a lot of cricket against each other in the last couple of years. It's India's third visit to England in, in quick succession so they came last year at Com Games and back again at the moment and, and to England's credit they, they chased down that 133 with real panache so Sarah Glenn took four for 23 the leg spinner she's having a really good year England getting there in just 13 overs Sophia Dunkley her new position at the top of the order she she batted there against South Africa yep. earlier in the summer 61 not out from 44 balls she's a bloody star Danny Wyatt 24 her opening partner then Alice Capsey who's having a great summer too uh, the new number three making 32 not out from 20 balls led by Amy Jones which is noteworthy too so Amy Jones given the captaincy armband for the first time unexpectedly because of course Heather Knight's injured with her hip surgery Nat Siver pulling out on the eve of the series starting Amy Jones given the chance and not required to bat but um, yeah to their credit an emphatic win with seven overs to spare winning by nine wickets yeah you know there is a real freshness about this England women's team as well yeah by virtue of you know the injuries that you mentioned and uh, and, and players missing out 
at the moment. Um, just looking down that that lineup, of course, Sophie Eccleston kind of stand out, but you know, Bryony Smith, Freya Kemp, Sarah Glenn, and and Lauren Bell. I mean, yep. you know, I, I'm really enjoying watching her career develop at, at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if you see much of my Boucher either, but she's a star, and I already reckon one of the best outfielders going around. So she brings that complete sort of package to the game. Great. Excellent, both sides of the wicket too, like really resourceful modern cricketer. Yeah. And you look down that list, this point was made, I think, by Hypercourst on, on Twitter as well, the great uh, women's cricket statistician. Nobody who was in that 11 that beat India was at Lords in 2017. Danny White was in the squad. I think Amy Jones was the backup wicketkeeper in the squad, but no one else. And that's the first game they've played without any member of the winning World Cup team from 2017. So, you know, renewal. renewal Lauren absolutely. Bell, Izzy Wong with the ball, replacing, in effect, Brunt and Shrubsole. But... And Brunt's still playing, of course, but just missing the series for workload management reasons. But, yeah, they have taken a big step after losing that World Cup final in Australia earlier this year and they were accused of being a bit stale. And, yeah, the Com games didn't quite go their way. But, you know, th there is a, a transition taking place in England women's cricket. Definitely. And, 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 it's, and it's a transition that, you know, over the, the last three coaches really have sort of tried to, to instigate back to, to Mark Robinson to, to try and... Um, almost increase that competitiveness yep. uh you know increase the pool of of talent and and you can you can really see how not just the 100 not just the two editions of the 100 that we have there but also go back to the Kia Super League uh, and players who you know kind of made their bow mm -hmm. uh, in that tournament now coming through and that pool of talent is widening is clearly widening uh, and it's only going to get bigger and, and, and stronger so if you can get along and, and, and check out the, the girls then then do so First one day is at Hove the this Sunday so in the middle of this unusual bank holiday weekend but they will play on Sunday uh, I'll be down there I'm doing those games for Sky the one day so looking forward to that we'll also do daily shows from them Dino uh, I think it'll be Norcross for myself for a couple of them I might drag Henry Moranian as well to uh, join me for a bit of daily action from the England India one day as and that's it from us. Uh, it's ended up being a, a longer conversation than I anticipated, but you've been a, a fabulous co-host, Dino. Uh, thanks for being with us here today. It's been a, a de-rigging taking place behind us at the ground, so there might have been some background noise. So if you've listened the whole way through, thanks for doing that. To all of our patrons, The Final Word is supported on that platform, patreon.com forward slash The Final Word. Woodstockcricket.co.uk, TFW20 for 20% off the best bats in the world. Dino, I'll lend you mine on Friday night when we'll be playing the, the Final Word game against the Dream Boys, the Oval Dream Boys. That is Friday, the 16th of September, 4pm start at the Griffin Sports Ground. Get down and have a drink and a bit of pizza afterwards with us as well. All right, that's been fun. Cheers, Dino. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Colo. It's been the final word. Again soon. Bye. I had to go.